You're listening to the Ascension Roundtable Podcast, Episode 36, Three Realities Faced by Parish Staff, an interview with Sonia Corbett. In this week's episode, we sit down with Catholic convert and Bible study author Sonia Corbett, who shares three tough lessons she's learned when it comes to working within the church. Plus, at the end of our conversation with her, she gives a sneak peek into her upcoming Bible study. Stay tuned. Welcome to the podcast. We're in the studio today with one Sonia Corbett. If you have not heard of her or seen her, you should go to her blog site, BibleStudyEvangelista.com, and check her out immediately. She is a speaker, an author, uh, a Bible guru, and has been in town working with us this week. Well, working for the past few months with us, but working specifically on set, shooting a program that we've been working on this week, and um, it really is truly a pleasure to have her uh, in the office today and in the studio. So welcome, Sonia. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Oh, you're very welcome. Don't be confused. I know her accent is uh, confusing. (laughs) It sounds like she's from Brooklyn, but it's really a Bronx accent (laughs) that comes out. I'm just kidding. She's from Tennessee. I'm from Tennessee. (laughs) Can you tell us a little bit about uh, yourself and your background? Sure. Yeehaw. (laughs) So um, I am a convert from a denominational uh, church, and my parents really kind of nominally took us to church. My mom actually did most of that. My dad uh, was a highway patrolman at that point, and his background was military. So she was the one who did all of any of the faith formation that we had. It came from her, and she always made sure that we had, or that I did, I remember having Bible story books from the time I could breathe, you know, and um, so we grew up in a nominal um, kind of church or went nominally. And but I always I think I always had a faith. It was kind of interesting because looking back on it, mom made sure that I was able to go to a church camp that she had worked with or in when she was a teenager and it was still open. And so I got to go, and it was one of those Appalachian Mountain kind of places, and it was removed from everything. And even, I mean, those were in the years before we had anything like cell phones or computers or anything. But it was even more removed, you know, than even what I was used to. And so I just remember being very caught up, I think, in knowing that God was present. And I got saved there. And I remember feeling as though Jesus was walking with me down the steps to the cellar where the bathrooms were. Because I, when I got saved, when I prayed that prayer, Jesus come into my heart, I was sobbing uncontrollably because my relationship with my father was so difficult that I just, just knew that God was mad at me all the time. And I had so many bad things and I was just a bad girl. And so when I got saved, I felt like all of that sort of not really disappeared, but that I had been forgiven, you know, and and that I was clean. And so as I walked downstairs and I pulled the door shut behind me, I remember it was dark and I could, I had to feel my way down the steps, but I, I feel like I saw Jesus's face, you know, beside me just as a flash, not that he was, you know, actually there, but I don't know. I think that was probably really the beginning of, oh, 
you know. I never really felt like he had left me. I left him a lot. And I did, you know, stuff in high school and in my early 20s that was a purposeful leaving. You know, I was exploring and trying to do, you know, I was really trying to figure out who I was going to be. Am I going to be good or am I going to not be good? But it's just not really in my nature to be terribly bad. <laughs> so I tried <laughs> and I did some stuff. But, but you know, that, that call, it kept pulling me back. And I, I just... um I just had to, at some point, I had to give it all, you know, you have to go all in or not. And I'm really that way. I mean, it's all or nothing all the time, which kind of gets me in trouble sometimes. But in that, in that situation, it's a good thing. And so I did, I jumped all in and, and that was sort of the beginning of um, maybe even, I wouldn't say public ministry then, but it was the beginning of being willing to serve in more of a capacity than just sitting you know, and listening to the sermons or whatever. I was willing to, even really early on in my 20s, I tried everything. I tried the nursery and decided I never wanted kids and, you know, that kind of thing. But I tried everything, and and it was helpful because I landed in a Bible study. And I had a mentor um, who, about three weeks into a study on Acts, she looked at me and she said, Sonny, I really think you're supposed to do this by yourself. And I said, you know, I mean, I'm kind of afraid to say it, but I kind of do too, even though I didn't know anything. I mean, I knew nothing about nothing, but I did sort of have that feeling and that she confirmed it. And it was her, you know, as my mentor and that I never looked back. That was it. I mean, from that point on, I, I got to where I would study, this was before children, obviously, but I would study 40 hours a week. I mean, I was home and, um, that was at that point when I when I did get pregnant, I, le- I left my job so I could be home with with my kids. And I did. I spent so much time studying. I would look up and it was four o'clock and my husband was coming home. You know, I was like, oh, my gosh, I got to get a shower. I got to clean up. You know, I spent all that time, but I couldn't help it. I mean, I was just voracious for the scriptures. And so that kind of just that's what got the ball rolling. And I never looked back. Wow. So. Let me ask you this. How did you get to the Catholic faith specifically? If you could talk a little bit about your journey from the Baptist faith to Catholicism. And it wasn't an easy ride. No, it was the most difficult time of my entire life in every direction. My marriage, our denomination, our church. We had we were leaders in our church. My husband and I were both in leadership. And so we saw and were privy to all the relationships, all the politics, all of the backbiting that can go on uh, when there is a personality conflict between a pastor and a, a parish or a church member or whatever, um, or even between church members, you know, there can be that <laughs> relationships and personalities are just difficult. Welcome to the body of yeah. Christ. <laughs> Welcome to yeah, reality. And so there were a couple of things happened. The first church split I, we experienced too. The first one I was very young, didn't know a whole lot about what was going on. But the second one, I was a little older and we were in leadership, so we knew all of it. And it was devastating because I had developed a relationship with that pastor and to see what happened to him and his family, it just, it, first of all, it made me so angry that it could be possible that a couple of people in a church could ruin somebody's entire life. And I just thought that's, that's so backward. You know, the Bible gives, it, it makes better provision for both God's pastors and his people. You know, we shouldn't be left without a pastor every five years because somebody doesn't like the one they have. Or the pastor shouldn't be left without a job because a a church member doesn't like his personality. You know, that should be impossible. And it wasn't. You know, in our whole structure, it was actually made to do that, 
to, it was made and built on that process. And so I saw it repeating itself over and over and over. And within the process of trying to find the answer to that thing, you go to the very basis of Protestantism, which is to protest. And I thought, okay, now I'm just going to have to go back to look at that. You know, was that legitimate? And and what I discovered is it was a huge church split. And it was at the hands of a, a one person who, who sort of gathered a posse together. And they all went out on his behalf. And, and then it was a huge mess. And so we were caught up in it. And I didn't want to do that anymore. So that sort of helped me transition into researching uh, Catholicism and if I could tolerate the teachings. And once I came to that, it was sort of a very short journey at that point. I was like, okay, now I know I'm going to have to do something about this. I knew too much to go back. And as difficult as it was to go forward, I knew that God was waiting for me in the church, in the Eucharist, and that made it really okay. I was, uh, well, not I wouldn't say okay, but it made it okay enough that I was willing to do it, despite my husband and my denomination, my family, everything. Everybody was just, it was such upheaval, unbelievable. Hmm. Glad it's over. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you actually talked about that some in the, the program that we just been, that we have been working on for the past few months, and then we just finished filming the the film section the video section of it we just finished filming mm-hmm. and uh, you do to talk about that in more depth and um so if you're interested stay tuned because when it comes <laughs> out you can get it you can learn more about it but uh we want to talk to her today mainly about uh working in the church she's worked in the church in the past she's been involved in both really small uh parishes and very large parishes and um and so she was the dre uh for a while in a parish and so i'd love to if uh, get her, let her talk to you guys about that experience. And, and um, I'm just gonna ask her if there are three things you can tell our listeners who are mainly church workers or volunteers, um, what would those three things be? I would say the first is nothing that we offer the people that we're trying to reach is going to be effective if we don't have the sap of the Holy Spirit working through it. And I think Mother Teresa was such a beautiful example of that because they spent hours and hours early, early in the morning in prayer before they went out to do what they did, which was unbelievably difficult. And it wasn't a matter of methods at all. All those, those are very important and we do need good programs and we need good methods and we need all of of that, the education, everything. But even that falls so woefully short so often because we don't have the Holy Spirit. We're not engaged with him ourselves on a daily basis. So we can't be an instrument for him. He can't get through. I mean, he works in ways we don't even we're not even privy to. I mean, there are people who say, I just remember you saying so and so and so and so program. And I'm like, I didn't say that, you know, Hmm. but the Holy Spirit touched them. And so I'm not going to argue with it. But that can't happen when we don't have a daily relationship with him, especially in the scriptures. So that would be the number one thing. Um, We need to be in the scriptures on a daily basis, listening to the Holy Spirit about our own lives so that we can be more holy, so that we can be a more effective vessel so that he can work through us unimpeded by all the other stuff that we carry with us. If we get that thing right, nothing else really matters because it really is a relationship, a one-on-one thing. And when the Holy Spirit prompts you to speak to someone or allow them to speak to you or just to be receptive or whatever, I mean, that's not a matter of a method at all. That is just listening. You know, okay, I don't know why this is important. I don't even know why I'm here. But I know I'm supposed to be, so I'm just waiting, you know, and then you never know what's going to happen. You're just always surprised. It's fun. So that would be the the first thing. 
The second thing would be um, the counter to that, which is you still have to have the method. You still have to have the education. So always, 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 we have to keep hustling because they're, you know, things, we're very sophisticated consumers and things get old and they get stale very quickly. So we have to continually up our game, at not not under the pressure of the consumerism necessarily, but just to be good stewards. We want to, Jesus said, be as, as sly as foxes and harmless as doves. So we got to be sly. <laughs> you know, how is this working in everybody else's ministry? What are they doing that's working? What is not working? You know, this constant movement forward with the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit is always new, always. And He will... That relationship is so important, partly because he can direct us in those directions. I mean, I'm doing stuff now that I would have never thought of myself, but an opportunity presented itself. And I thought, okay, Lord, that could be okay. Do I do this or do I not? You know, and you try it. And so one would be make sure you're in touch with the Holy Spirit every day in the scriptures. Two would be make sure you're, you're up on your methodology. And the third would be be aware that your eyes, our eyes always have to be on Christ because there are such difficulties inherent in church ministry. We go, we go to it hoping and, and believing. We have this, this idealized vision of what church work is, and it's gritty. I mean, <laughs> it can be really, really difficult. The personalities are really no different than in a business situation, except in a business situation, you can be fired. Whereas in a church, you you probably won't be fired for your very worst behavior. <laughs> and that makes it difficult, you know, when you're working with volunteers and you're trying to navigate those sorts of situations and the personalities are difficult and you don't know how to handle, you're trying to be charitable. But at the same time, you know, sometimes you have to do the hard thing and it's going to hurt somebody. I remember my husband having he was our chairman of deacons in the non-catholic church that we attended and he had to he was the chairman so he had to lead a a no about a person who who had applied to be a deacon and and it was so hard for him because you don't it's not personal but you know the person's going to take it personally so it's just very hard to navigate so what i'm saying then is it's hard the, the relationships are hard. You may become so disillusioned that you want to lose your faith that you just walk away. You, you feel like completely walking away from the faith or the church totally. And I would just, if you're in that position, I would say, please don't do that because it's not about the people at all. God can work anyway. And even in those difficult situations and especially conflicts, there are, there are things we can learn. And if we let him defend us and we let him work out the things that he's working out, it will eventually resolve itself. And I'm speaking from total experience. I've been through some brutal, brutal things in church ministry and at the hands of church people. And they can be the most difficult people to work with and work for, but they're also the best. Because when it's operating properly, you just don't want to be anywhere else but the church. I mean, if, if it's, if it's, and it's both, it's not either or, you know, it's both. It can be the worst and the best at the same time. You just sort of have to know that going in. I think that would help a lot. I think it would help a lot of people a lot if they knew <laughs> going in, this is going to be brutal. There are going to be times you're going to hate your, your parishioners or, you know, the people you're working with or whatever, but it's okay. It, it'll pass and you'll learn and they will too. Man, so good. I, I, I was just thinking about my own experience working in the church and how, um, a lot of what you said, how the pitfalls that I encountered as far as 
my ministry not coming from my prayer life, but vice versa. It became, it became my, my prayer life. It became my study instead of what I was teaching, what I was doing as far as youth minister flowing from that relationship with Christ. It was more like, oh, I've already, I've been working on this, this talk on prayer for three hours today, so I don't actually need to pray, you know, that kind of thing. And then, you burn out. Yeah, you do. Exactly. And, uh, and the same thing with the people, like before I, before I went, I was thinking about leaving the corporate world and going to work for a church. And I asked a friend of mine who was a youth minister and I said, what do you do all, all number one, all day? Like, what do you do? And give me the good, the bad and the ugly. And he did. And he was just, he prepared me for the reality of going to work for those situations. And exactly we wow, described how there's, yeah. And I was like, do I really want to do this? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I think I do. You know? mm-hmm. <laughs> and but going in knowing that that was going to be like that, and, and so when it happened, I wasn't shocked and I wasn't surprised, and I was kind of expecting it and just kind of prayed through it and stuck with it. And and uh, there's a you know there's a big burnout in a lot of parishes yes, because, there of, is. because of that. So. And I, I think it's because people don't expect it, and when yeah. they're faced with it, they think the whole church is that way, and it's so disillusioning. And you just think, well, what am I here for then? You know, what's the point? Um, but if you know it going in, you can push through it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. So what about um, the hardship of, of having a, a family and running a ministry of some kind, whether it's DRE or youth minister or adult faith formation or whatever? Like, how do you balance all of that, especially when your parishioners work during the day? And so if you want to meet with them, it has to be in the evening when your kids are home from school and your yep. husband's home from work. So how do you balance life and, and ministry? The most difficult thing for me as the religious education director was being part of a parish and trying to worship at mass at the same time. Because on a Sunday, that's when you're available to all of the people. And so you don't get to worship. You don't get to to meet with God because you have 50 people who are telling you to remember something. And, and it's very, very difficult. Plus, you have the dynamics of the relationships that may not be so good. And so you're unrestful on the inside, too, on top of all of that. But but I'll tell you what really does. There are two things. And these I this is part of what God taught me in that process of, of learning to rest as I was coming into the church. And I knew it to be finally. He just said, you have to learn this or you're going to burn out on the other side when you start to come into the promised land that I have given you and, and that you are going to be able to, uh, I hope, work in. And I said, okay, whatever it is. And, they, and so it's twofold. First, always keep a Sabbath, a Sunday. Always guard it. Don't answer the phone. Don't go shopping or whatever. I don't, I don't mean to say do or don't. It's just guard it. Guard it as a worship and rest day. And literally, you know, God said it's an obligation to rest. The church tells us Sunday is a day of obligation in which we worship and we rest. And that comes from the teaching from the Sabbath in the Old Testament. So if you haven't rested, then you haven't worshiped well on Sunday. And if you haven't worshiped, then you haven't rested well on Sunday. So you have to do both. And God wants us to do both. And he shows us throughout the scriptures that if we don't do both, we will die. And it's not a matter of God throwing a lightning bolt at us. It is <laughs> you burn out, you get sick, you can't function any longer. You don't want to fool with those people because you're fed up with them, you know, and you just get, you get all this anxiety. It all overwhelms you. But that one day, I don't know, it's like miraculous. If you keep it with that goal I am worshiping and resting. This is my day. And if if you are like a DRE or whatever, and you have to be there and you really are working the whole time, then you can choose another parish to worship or you can choose another day. But whatever you do, keep the Sabbath 
and keep the Sunday holy and guard it for you and your family. So I always take a nap. It took me so long to just learn how to take a nap on a Sunday. It was such a struggle, you know, and it's not that I was trying to force myself, but I just, you know, I was like looking around thinking I should be doing something, the laundry, the dishes, you know, and, and, and I felt like such a slacker. But after a couple of months of really trying to be disciplined and practice that, about two o'clock, no matter where I am on a Sunday, I'm ready for a nap. And I can take three hours of a nap and still sleep all night long, and it does not bother me at all. And it's because our bodies need the rest. Our souls need it. Our minds need it. They need it. And our children need that time to connect with us when there isn't the phone ringing. and the. They need it, too. So my kids... I know this is terrible that I'm admitting this, but I give them an all-day free-for-all on their video games. Whatever's restful, go do it, you know. And we always take a walk or we play a game or whatever. It's a family day. But we don't we don't go places. We don't do stuff on Sunday. Even when I, you know, when I get in on a Sunday, they know that Monday I'm not doing anything. I'm not cooking, not going to get groceries. I'm not doing anything. You know, if I have been out on Sunday, Monday's my rest day. So I just veg out with British TV or whatever. (laughs) That's the first thing. Keep the Sunday and make sure to guard it carefully. And then the other thing is I've already mentioned, you have to be in touch with the Holy Spirit on a daily basis because that is where the sap is. And he can refresh us. He refreshes us without really necessarily having to do anything just just i mean just start 15 minutes if you don't have the practice begin with the gospel reading and sit with him for 15 minutes and then build up to an hour but it should be we should be trying to spend 30 minutes to an hour with him every day before anything happens i don't i'm not a morning person so when i started you know i would sleep through the whole thing and just pray God would forgive me. But eventually I set it up as a discipline. And even when my children were young, they knew if you don't give mama this time, she'll be crazy. <laughs> so they don't bother me. So those are the two things. Those are very, very important. And it will help us keep going for years and years and years and years, which is what God wants. And what our church needs. Yes. Yeah. Amen, sister. All right. Hallelujah. Wow. <laughs> Um, so we've been working on a, a program together for the past, uh, together, it's been your program, this has been your baby in, in a lot of ways, um, and I've just been blessed to, to kind of help it along in this process and get it out there to the world, um, but I would love you just to tell our listeners a little bit about it um, and give, uh, I'm just going to say it, just a shameless plug, because I think it's <laughs> awesome, and I think they should they should do it once it comes out, so tell us about it. It is a Bible study in the greatest sense of the word. So it has three components. There's a workbook and a book and a video series. And that was necessary because there's so much information that is so important. But it's called Fulfilled, Uncovering the Biblical Foundations of Catholicism. And we go through the Old Testament tabernacle, which I know everybody when they hear that, I know they're probably rolling their eyes, but the tabernacle is what helped bring me into the church. As a non-Catholic, we had teaching on the Old Testament tabernacle. I know that a lot of denominations don't teach it, or a lot of non-Catholics don't know it, but I did. I knew it very well. And and it just seemed a, a quaint little thing. It's very cool. It looks forward to Christ, and these are all the ways. But when I went to a Mass, and I started to see the connections between what's there in that Old Testament And what's in the Mass? And then I did more exploration on Catholicism, and I started to see the sacraments in there. And and all of really what got me was everything that is controversial to a non-Catholic is in that tabernacle. Purgatory, Mary, the institutional priesthood, all of that stuff, you know. And and I went, 
oh my gosh, Lord, you have hidden this here. And as non-Catholics know the tabernacle, and most Catholics don't, but Catholics know Catholicism, and non-Catholics don't. So unless you know them both, you can't make the connection. And I thought... I made the connection, Lord. You know, so I was so excited. And then immediately I started trying to put it down on paper because I wanted to teach it in RCIA. So I wrote it. And even then it was, it had a workbook and a book and a video component. It had all of that stuff to it because there's so much information and it is so, so beautiful. The way God has preserved through his people, his people have done it. Out of love for God, they have preserved the typology of the Old Testament tabernacle. All of Judaism preserved it. And then Jesus came and he fulfilled it. But then he brought it forward in the church and the church has preserved it all the way to now. And so as a non-Catholic, I remember looking at, at my worship and I thought, that's not like the Old Testament. You know, it's just how come God made such deliberate and specific preparation in the Old Testament for a particular kind of worship and and said it had to be perpetual forever. You know, that doesn't mean until the New Testament. It doesn't mean till Jesus gets here. It means forever. So if that's true, then why did he not like it so much that he just kicked it over and started completely over where now we just have preaching and singing? You know, I just didn't understand that. It didn't make sense. I, I like to say it seemed like God was schizophrenic. <laughs> so when I made those connections I just was, and I still am, I'm so overwhelmed by how beautiful it is and and how rich, you know, it ties the disparate pieces for a non-Catholic together, but also for a Catholic, because a Catholic goes, oh, that's not only biblical, that was set down in ancient days. So the church hasn't made it up. She didn't say, oh, it'd be so cool to have a priesthood. Oh, we should use incense. Wouldn't that be neat? You know, no, it was God's idea. The feast days, the liturgical year, the institutional priesthood, the purgatory, Mary, all of that. It's all in there. And so when I started to bring bring the connections together and I started teaching it and I started, started to see how people were receiving it and the light bulbs, you know, coming on for people, I thought, man, this is, this is something. This is something. So... Yeah. Love it. Yeah, I, t- I, told, I know I told you this, but for our listeners, when I first heard what the program was on and what it was going to be on, I was like, oh, yeah, Tabernacle. <laughs> that sounds great. <laughs> but once I got into it and, and started learning about it, I, w- I was blown away by it. And it's been really cool this week to see some of the people's faces as you t- you say certain things. And I don't want to give any spoilers away, but as you see certain things, to see their physical reaction and literal to hear their gasps sometimes to hear them go oh, like yes. i didn't know that or i didn't that's been right through the whole time and i never saw it and it's been like it's been really cool to just like watch that happen on people's faces so. that has been the most satisfying thing for me in this entire week because that's how i felt about it when i found it first you know when i when i discovered little things here and there and and made the connections and and then i wrote them down and i've been teaching them you know but to see somebody who's never heard it and then to present it and see somebody's face, just, you know, this total shock. Golly, you know, they, you, you can see on their faces that God is so much bigger and they are seeing that he's so much bigger than they thought. And that is the most beautiful thing ever. It has, that's been my favorite part is seeing that. Mm. Because then I know that it's not just me and I'm not crazy. <laughs> <laughs> we all think it's yeah, cool. It is cool. It's, so- Oh, go ahead. No, I was just going to say it's fabulous. It's the it's my favorite thing I've ever done. It really is. And to see it now come to life, the vision of it, and to have so many people working so hard 
and to see that that to see that ascension understands not only the project but the vision of it and me understands me well enough to do it exactly like I would do it if I were doing it oh wow it's such a gift it is a total gift from God and I do not take it for granted and I am I'm so humbled by it just all of the effort that everybody has gone through to make this so beautiful it is amazing well it's mutual I mean totally mutual I feel blessed to have this opportunity to do that um, so yeah, I'm so excited to come out and people to experience it. Um, one last thing I want to talk about um, is uh, I want to if I can get as much many tears out of you as possible today. <laughs> that's not my goal. Um, one of the thing, another thing that's been really cool this week is um, watching. I said watching you connect with people, but there's a certain uh, you have a sense of vulnerability that you make yourself very available to people both personally when you're talking to them one-on-one and also when you're presenting and when you're um, teaching about something that sounds so dry as the tabernacle you have a way of, of wrapping it around a personal story and making yourself vulnerable so that people are definitely connecting with you in the story and so um, I think we've we've talked about that a little bit in the podcast and various podcasts in the past but if you can just talk briefly about like why you think that is that that it's, it's so um, people are fearful, I think, to make themselves vulnerable. But once somebody does that, then they feel free and they feel safe to do the same thing. And that's when like real connection happens. That's when people really begin to can de- begin to disciple each other and that sort of thing. So talk about, if you can, uh, this idea of just being vulnerable and being real with people. Well, the first thing goes back to being to, to hustling and making sure we're up on methodology. And when I say that, I, I, I just mean that in every lesson, every session, every chapter, every, every speech, every everything, in the back of my mind, I'm thinking I have to apply it. Some You have to give people something to hang it on or they're going to leave and not know what to do with it. My job is to apply it like that. And I have to learn how to do that. And I have to learn how to do it well. So that's my job. Nobody needs to know I'm thinking about that, but I have to be able to do it or it hasn't connected. And part of how I do that is, I mean, I'm not proud of the stuff that I've done. I, I talk about having a, a father wound and I shared, I can't believe I shared this, but <laughs> I shared in the video that I have run someone off the road in my car, you know, because I have this rage problem and so I you know I'm not proud of that but but what happened was and and of course the Holy Spirit obviously had something to do with that because the there was a woman there who has has nothing to do with the church and really does not like the church at all she she shared quite a few things you know and she was very critical and and but that one thing kind of gave her permission to to do two things one admitted of herself and then go okay well if that's how she is and she has a problem with rage and she still loves jesus (laughs) so how can that be can jesus really love somebody like me who has rage and if that's true how do how do i have that you have to give people the space to be able to own their sin and then and then be challenged to move forward out of it. And that's why I'm willing to do it. I'm not proud of it. I don't want to make light of my own sin and my own faults and my own terrible patterns, but I am willing to go there because I know from experience that that opens the door for some people where nothing else will. It gives them permission to be honest 
And I don't need them to be honest with me. I need them to be honest with God because if they cannot be honest with God, they cannot grow in faith. And that's what I'm about. I want people to grow in faith with him. And I know that that's part of the key. I have to be authentic and I have to have that relationship. I can't be fake. I have to be transparent where I can and where it's reasonable. And my family knows that. I mean, they they know I overshare sometimes about (laughs) stuff, but they also know that uh, I'm also very respectful of them and their wishes and what they want shared and what they don't and and some things I just have to share from my point of view because it's my story and my truth whether or not you know anybody in my family or whatever might agree and I'm specifically thinking of my father there but but in any case I think that is very very important that it's risky but I have found that the more you risk with God the more you get back so I'm willing to do it yeah and it's not about glorifying your sin it's just about being open and honest about who you are and your brokenness and faults and all that stuff yeah because people can spot a fake a mile away and they tune you out immediately i mean we always we credit uh, teenagers with that because they'll just call you know bs right off the bat but an adult sees it too they just tune you out and they don't listen (laughs) and if you can't get through if you can't if if you can't open the door then the holy spirit can't do that work in them you know so So i just try to get out of the way is there still a worn out for your arrest for the driving off the road thing? Um, <laughs> it was dangerous. And in fact, I remember saying, Lord, I can't believe you let me do that. <laughs> <laughs> and he said, what? <laughs> let you? <laughs> you should go to jail. So it's not the first time I've heard that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Good stuff. Um, I don't know how to follow that. Yeah. I'm just like... <laughs> Try and one up you, but I got nothing. Mm. So one time I shot this guy. <laughs> <laughs> oh me! Oh, gosh, this is fun. I um, I could listen to your stories all day. They're they're hilarious <laughs> and and <laughs> and touching. Yet at the same time, um, but uh, it's really been. I just want to say thank you for uh, allowing uh, me and us to be a part of um, your baby uh, fulfilled and uh, help this thing get birth along, as uh, if you will. So thank you. And thanks for privilege. being on the show today. Absolutely. And uh, if you want to hear more of her, she has her own podcast, Bible Study Evangelista Show, right? Mm-hmm. Bible Study Evangelista Show. There you go. We're doing um, a series on the father wound right now. Just started. There you go. So you can tune in and, and uh, get caught up and listening each week. Yep. Every week. Cool. As for us, we're here each week as well. So uh, keep doing what you're doing. Know that we're praying for you. And uh, we'll talk to you next week. Peace.